0: this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment Service for the Blind, which includes anyone with a visual impairment who is unable to read a newspaper. We have the, the permission of the Worcester News, and we're recording on Thursday, September the 13th. I'm Elizabeth Hill, and this week's team comprises our engineer, John Plush, and round the table with me reading is Judith Doherty, Audrey Luxton and Sally Rowe. The admin has been completed by Carol Hartle and um, Judith, Audrey, and Duncan Wynne are going to do the copying this evening. And later on, you may well hear uh, another voice on the second part towards the end of our tape uh, a lady called Janet Goodman, who's come from Droitwich to see what we get up to. So, welcome to Janet. May I extend a very warm welcome to any new listeners and hope you enjoy our offering. You will hear some emergency telephone numbers, what's on in the local theatres. We'll have the obituaries, the thought for the week. Um, There don't seem to be any birthdays this week, um, so uh, the birthday book is closed. But if we don't know what yours is, please tell us. Then we'll have the past week's headlines, the sunrise and sunset times. Nights are drawing in now. And then we'll have stories of interest from the past week. The service is quite free to users and is a registered charity. But if anyone does wish to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, WYLDS, in Worcester, WR51DA. And I do have to say um, a thank you um, to two people, um, Eric Hill and Anne McKeever. So thank you very much for your contribution. That's very kind. Um, I'm going to remind listeners about the um, library of talking books, fiction, thrillers, romance, talking books available on tape or CD, not USB stick. We can provide a list of books in the library in large print, hard copy uh, or on tape. So leave a message on the answer phone 01905 767766 or put a note in your Talking News wallet. We do like to hear from you, so if you have any suggestions, please add a message in your wallet or leave a message on the answer phone. I've just given you the number. Um, Please be patient, we're not here every day. So, um, I think those are all the announcements and I'm going to hand over to Audrey now to um, give you the emergency and interesting uh, useful telephone numbers.
1: Worcester Live where you can book tickets for the Swan and Lady Huntington Hall, 01905 611 The Malvern Theatres, to book tickets, 01684 89 If you want to contact the police in a non-emergency situation, call 101, Crime Stoppers is 0800-555-111. The Worcester Hub, where you can meet um, uh, make inquiries about um, com- uh, council me- matters, etc. 01905-765-765. The Norbury Theatre at Droitwich. NHS Direct is 111. There is a number for out-of-hours medical assistance. 0300 123 3211. They operate between 6pm and 8pm. The Infirmary Museum is... O one nine o five, five four two, three seven three.
0: 542 373. Thank you, Audrey. Uh, now I'm going to hand over to Sally to tell us what is on in our local
2: theatres. Okay. Right, well, once again, we've got a huge variety of different things. Um, starting in Malvern, um, from Monday the 17th to Saturday the 22nd of September is the Wipers' Times by Ian Hislop, based on a true story, and that comes um, from The West End, a remarkable forerunner to a private eye. Then on Friday the 21st of September, in the cinema, is um, The Merry Widow, the Australian ballet. And Saturday the 22nd of September is Whitney, Queen of the Night, um, and that's at 7.45. Then there is the National Gilbert and Sullivan Opera Company. Um, they're producing a variety of different uh, operas on the 25th and the 26th of September. They're doing Iolanthi. On the 26th of September in the evening, they're doing The Pirates of Penzance. Um, 27th and the 28th of September is Trial by Jury and the Sorcerer and on the 29th of September is Ruddy Gore Um, then on Wednesday the 26th of September there is Music and Songs by P.T. Bartnam, Sensational Live Band and West End Vocalists there's also Sovereign Brass on Sunday the 23rd at 2.30, and that admission is free. Um, so that takes us to Mal- from Malvern, and then in Worcester we have the usual variety, a gala show on Friday the 14th and Saturday the 15th, That's matinee at 2.15 and evening production at 7.15. That's at the Swan Theatre, Friends of the Swan Theatre 2018 Gala Show. Um, Then on Sunday the 16th, you win again, celebrating the music of the Bee Gees at 7.30. And something a little different, on Thursday the 20th of September is Psychic Sally, her 10th anniversary tour, a world-renowned psychic television and theatre star. Then, um, also on Thursday the 20th, oh, I beg your pardon, Psychic Sally is at Huntingdon Hall. Um, And on Thursday the 20th at The Swan is Wannabe, The Spice Girls Show. Uh, That's at 7.30. Then on Friday the 21st at Huntingdon Hall is Dire Streets. Dire Streets perfectly (coughs) capture the distinctive, authentic sound of one of the greatest, biggest guitar bands of all time, Dire Straits. Then for the children, on Saturday the 22nd of September at 2 o'clock, is Little Bo Peep. Little Bo Peep has lost her sheep. Um, And it is a puppet theatre, Sea Legs Puppet Theatre presentation. And then on in the evening of Saturday the 22nd of September in the Huntingdon Hall is Andy Fairweather Low and the Low Riders featuring the High Riders' Soul Review. And then on Saturday the 22nd of September at the Swan Theatre, Oi Santana. Oi Santana, Power, Passion, Perfection. Four decades worth of hits including the multi-gammy winning Smooth. Um, and then people can visit a former Worcester prison on National Heritage Day. Visitors will be able to follow in the footsteps of former prisoners who were locked up in the holding cells at Worcester Guildhall. The Guildhall was once the seat of justice for the city and is throwing its doors open to visitors on September the 15th from 9am to 4pm for National Heritage Day. People will have the opportunity to step back in history visit the cells and the courtroom which witnessed scenes of high drama for many years. Prisoners, many of whom were sentenced to death, were led up to it through a trap door in the middle of the floor and, once sentenced, were taken down again to await their fate. The history of the Guildhall will be brought to life with costumed characters and guided tours. The Guildhall is an ornate and stunningly beautiful building which has hosted royalty on a number of occasions. However, many Worcester residents have never been inside to experience its magnificent paintings, chandeliers and rich history, said the Deputy Mayor, Councillor Aladitta, It's well worth a visit, especially as it is completely free. Councillors will be on hand to show visitors round the Guildhall's treasures. So that's something a little bit different and that rounds up the what's on in the area. Thank you, Sally. And I now have a list of council meetings that are coming
0: up the that- uh, you may be interested in Worcestershire County Council's Audit and Governance Committee will meet on Friday, September the twenty first at two p.m. at County Hall. Meanwhile, the Planning and Regulatory Committee will be meeting on Tuesday, September the twenty fifth at ten a.m. The Health and Wellbeing Board meet on the same day, uh, time and venue so the 25th at 10 o'clock, but obviously at a different room. And the Council's Overview and Scrutiny Performance Board will be meeting on Wednesday, September 26th at 10am again at County Hall. This month's County Council Cabinet meeting will take place on Thursday, September 27th at 10am at County Hall and the public are welcome to attend all meetings. So although those aren't city things, the County Council does have an impact on um, <clears throat> citizens in the city, <laughs> um, now I'm going to um, uh, open look at the obituaries actually, um, and the thought for the week, uh, followed by the headlines. So recent announcements and these funerals will have already taken place. John James Rumney, of Linksview Crescent, passed away on August the 28th. His funeral service was today, September 13th. Um, donations to be divided between St Richard's Hospice and RSPCA Worcester Branch and can be sent to EJ Gummery & Son 6870 Ombusley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Still to take place... Eleni Grivas, who died on August the 25th. Her funeral service will take place at All Saints Church in Deansway on Monday, September 17th at 1.30pm, followed by interment at Astrid Cemetery at 3 o'clock. Um, donations for the Multiple Sclerosis Society may be placed in the collection box. Um, inquiries to Co-op Funeral Care 1905 double two one three seven somebody's phone Kenneth Holt passed away August the 28th Uh, funeral service at Worcester Crematorium at 1.35pm on Tuesday September 18th Uh, donations for St Richard's Hospice can be left at surgery service sorry Richard known as Monty Montandon retired paramedic uh, passed away August 23rd Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium Tuesday, September 18th at 11.30am. Donations for the British Heart Foundation can be left at the crematorium or sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services 01905 74881 John Bowen passed away September the 1st. Um, funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, September 19th at 12.15pm. Donations for St Richard's Hospice or Tenbury Community Hospital League of Friends can be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E J Gummery and Son. Details as before. Christine Bates passed away September the second. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium Thursday September twentieth at one p.m. Donations for St Richard's Hospice can be sent to E J Gummery and Son. Details as before. Audrey Hobbs passed away August 21st. Service to celebrate Audrey's life will take place at Worcester Crematorium Thursday, September 20th at 11.30am. Donations for Cancer UK and Leukaemia Research can be uh, left on the collection plate or sent to AV Band 41 St. Nicholas Street, Worcester, WR11UW. And Jeff Dawkins, former PE teacher, uh, passed away August 29th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Friday, September 21st at 1.45pm. Donations for St Richard's Hospice. Inquiries to cooperative funeral care details as before. And Jason William, known as Jay Homer of Littleworth, passed away September the 2nd. Funeral service at St James the Great Church, Norton, Friday, September 21st at 2.30pm. Followed by interment, donations for St Richard's Hospice. Can be sent to E Hill and Son Funeral Directors, Pershaw WR10 1HZ. Um, they are all family flowers, um, which I haven't repeated each time. Um, I've just mentioned the donations. So our thoughts and prayers do go out to all of those who have lost loved ones recently, and I'm now going to um, look at the thought for the day sent by Keir Aldis, and it's taken from um, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and may enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Right, now I'm going to ask Judith to read the headlines, and uh, sun Sunrise and Sunset Time, and the first headline story, right, please, yes, thank you.
3: Thank you. Right, um, a drug addict can still get clean, lollipop losers... Lose the cats or get evicted. Face of a killer. Victims. Put domestic abuses abusers on register. Lout rode off on my bike. And sunrise now is 6.40am. And sunset is 7.28pm. Right, now... First headline, Um, an addict who has fallen off the wagon after trying to turn his life around has been told there is still support to help him get clean. Michael Littlewood, who has been battling addictions to former legal high black mamba and other drugs, appeared before magistrates and pleaded guilty to a charge of drunk and disorderly. Naya Charpentier of Rethink, a drugs, alcohol and mental health charity, said, The important thing to know is that support is available via the NHS or charities. With the right help, people can recover and lead the lives they want to lead. Mr Littlewood, who was listed as homeless by the court, appeared in the Worcester News last month alongside his wife Michelle, who feared he would die if he didn't turn his life around. The 38-year-old was found seemingly drunk on a bench in St Martin's Gate by ASDA staff on August 21st, and police were called. He appeared to be unconscious and was surrounded by needles, said Prosecutor Kerry Lovegrove, speaking in court on Thursday. She said staff tried to wake him before dialing 999, with the defendant becoming abusive, and he was then threatened with arrest by the police officers. The court heard that Mr. Littlewood continued to be uncooperative with officers and was shouting and swearing before being handcuffed, but then let go when he calmed down. However, Miss Lovegrove said police were called again an hour later to the exact same location and found the defendant more drunk than before and shouting, so he was arrested again. The prosecutor said Mr Littlewood, who was defending himself in court, has had 18 previous convictions from, an offen- from 36 offences, but has not been before the courts since July 2015. Mrs Littlewood, also present in court with her husband, apologised to magistrates for his behaviour and asked for community service instead of a fine. Mr Littlewood is not currently working or in receipt of benefits and is instead fully supported by his wife. He was given a conditional discharge and fined £20. Charles Charles Townsend, Chair of the Bench, said, If you commit any other offence in the next six months, you will not only be punished for today's offence, but for that offence as well. Keep out of trouble. Keep your nose clean. Mutaha Shah opened Pepe's Piri Piri restaurant in Lowsmore last month and gave Mr Littlewood a job as a window cleaner. Speaking to the Worcester News following the court hearing, Mr Shah said Mr Littlewood is no longer working at the restaurant but wished him support on his road to recovery. He needs to sort everything out in his life before he returns to work, he said. Ms Hunter of Rethink went on to say addiction is often linked to mental health problems If you have an addiction problem with drugs or alcohol, it may have started as a way to cope with feelings that someone felt unable to deal with in any other way. If anyone is worried about an addiction, then we would advise going to your GP in the first instance, she added. A head teacher says her school cannot
1: afford its own lollipop patrol. After the County Council and school said schools should fund their own. Sarah Hansen, head teacher of St Barnabas Primary School, said the schools are already squeezed for money. And parents are concerned for their children's safety due to the loss of the lollipop patrols. In my view, the council are under massive pressure for funding, so they are looking for ways to pass on costs because they're only able to pay for essential services. She said we are already very squeezed for money. Mrs Hansen said paying for a crossing patrol would mean the school would have to cut other resources, such as after-school clubs or one-to-one support. St Barnabas has been without a crossing patrol since last year, when its lollipop patrol officer retired. It's now set to get a zebra crossing. Worcestershire County Council cut 15 crossing patrols in Worcestershire at schools that had light-controlled or zebra crossings, including St Barnabas. The Council now proposes these schools should fund their own crossing patrols. Councillor Lucy Hodgson, Cabinet Member for Communities, said, We've listened to all the feedback from staff who took part in the formal consultation. And also the views of schools and the and the wider community. As a result, we've decided to introduce the concept of sponsored school patrol crossings by school by or community groups for those patrols who work close to or on a re, on a zebra crossing. Sponsored patrols will remain employed and managed by the County Council to ensure a high quality and consistent service is delivered for children and young people. Sarah Carey, Deputy Head at St Barnabas, said, The road is very busy. We have 420 children and there is a high school up the road. We had an incident last year where a child was hit by a car and had uh, had a broken leg. However, Mrs Carey says, The school was very pleased that they are getting a crossing. It's an improvement of what we had since Eve, the former lollipop lady, retired. A zebra crossing will be painted on the road outside the school and the work should be completed uh, by uh, the 9th of September, says Mick Hall, who's been employed temporarily as a crossing patrol for the last few days. Lynette Jones, whose child attends the primary school, said it was important to have a crossing patrol for safety. We've always had one here. I can't understand why they would cut it. It's a busy road and it's difficult to cross without having someone on the crossing. Tracy Humphreys, who also has children at the school, said, The traffic is really bad up here and I think they should put in something to stop cars coming up here. It would only have to be in the afternoons. Councillor Paul Denham said schools are already overstretched. It should be the county council's responsibility to pay for the safety of children crossing the road.
2: An animal lover claims her housing association has threatened to evict her unless she gives up her two cats. Samantha Fowler said Fortis Living told her to get rid of the pets in a letter that she received on Thursday. But Miss Fowler, aged 33, of Randwick Drive, has pledged to never abandon her two moggies, Sooty and Lucky. Fortis Living declined to say whether she had been threatened with eviction, but said it is committed to responsible pet ownership and asks tenants to apply for permission to keep pets. Miss Fowler said... Fortis said they will evict me if I keep them. I'm not going to abandon them. I don't think it's fair. I got lucky two months ago and sooty two weeks ago. They mean quite a lot to me. I don't know what will happen to the cats if I get rid of them. They're attached to me. Fortis says we have to request permission, but I didn't think I needed it, as others have dogs in the vicinity. Miss Fowler thinks a disgruntled neighbour told Fortis Living about her pets. The Housing Association received Miss Fowler's request to keep a cat on July the ninth after she had acquired Lucky. The tenant found out that this request had been rejected on Thursday. She said, I want to know why everyone else has permission for animals but I'm not allowed them. Why am I getting penalised when there's other people in the block with dogs and it's not an issue? Miss Fowler, who described herself as an animal lover said she had previously looked after cats, rabbits and dogs. A spokesman for Fortis Living said, Fortis Living is committed to high standards of animal welfare and encourages responsible pet ownerships for our customers. As part of this, we ask that they apply for permission to keep a pet before they bring one home. Richard
3: Bailey, 41, strangled and smothered Charlotte Teeling during sex at his flat. Her body was found in his pornography-filled room more than a week later by police. Bailey, 41, denied killing Miss Teeling, 33, claiming she died accidentally after she asked him to choke her during rough sex. Relatives of Miss Teeling cheered from the public gallery as the guilty verdict was announced after the jury at Birmingham Crown Court took just... 75 minutes to reach a unanimous verdict. Bailey showed no emotion. After murdering Miss Teeling at his flat in Cooksey Lane, King Standing, Birmingham, Bailey made a number of searches for hardcore pornography on Miss Teeling's mobile phone and also attempted to use Miss Teeling's debit card at two shops and a food outlet before using it in the glamorous nightclub later that evening. Jurors also heard Bailey had slept next to Miss Teeling's dead body on a number of occasions. The pair met after Miss Teeling had travelled to Birmingham from Worcester, where she was staying in a refuge with her children, to pick up a coat and phone she had left at the private nightclub the previous weekend on a night out with a friend. She danced alone in the nightclub before leaving with two of the bouncers. During the trial, CCTV images showed Bailey approach Miss Teeling in a select and save shop where the pair are seen to chat before embracing. Images showed Bailey and Miss Teeling sitting inside the entrance of Birmingham New Street Station, hugging and kissing before leaving and getting into a taxi to Bailey's flat. The pair picked up crack cocaine on the way. Bailey gave no evidence during the trial but told police during interview that he squeezed Miss Teeling's neck during rough sex after being startled and shell-shocked by the voice of housing support worker Joanne Dias, a voice he had not heard before. Bailey said he let go of Miss Teeling's neck and spoke with Miss Dias for around 30 seconds and then when he turned around, Miss Teeling was motionless. Bailey said he attempted CPR and mouth-to-mouth but did not call an ambulance because he was scared he would be blamed for her death. During the trial, Jonas Hankin QC prosecuting said Bailey's behaviour after the victim's death was wholly inconceivable with his explanation of accidental death. Forensic pathologist Alexander Kolar told the court that significant and intense force had been used by Bailey when highlighting the bone fractures, deep internal bruising and signs of smothering found during a post-mortem on Miss Teeling. A number of pornographic images, magazines and a pornographic DVD were found scattered around Bailey's flat and near Miss Teeling's body when she was discovered on March the 2nd. Bailey had used the phone of Peter Gerard, who lived in the room opposite Bailey, and moved in after she was murdered a number of times to worm his way back into the life of an ex-partner in Coventry, and eventually fled Birmingham with the phone. He was later tracked to Coventry and arrested.
1: Victims are calling for domestic violence perpetrators to be added to the sex offenders' register following the release from prison of serial abuser Jamie Weatherby. The demand has been made after two Worcestershire victims of domestic violence spoke out about their abuse at the hands of Weatherby. Weatherby, aged 28, who has multiple convictions for beating women, was released from prison last month. He was convicted of attacking two of his ex-girlfriends in April and has a previous conviction for assaulting another former partner from 2015. It can now be revealed that Weatherby, previously of which near Deutschwich, was also convicted for further assaults in 2011 and 2012. Currently, the Domestic Violence Disclosure Scheme DVDS, often called Claire's Law, after the landmark case that led to it, gives any member of the public the right to ask the police if their partner may pose a risk to them. A member of the public can also make inquiries into the partner of a close friend or a family member. Charlie Faulkner was one of Jamie Weatherby's victims and has now joined forces with national campaigner Zoe Dronfield to demand a change in the system. Ms Dronfield, who started campaigning after she was viciously assaulted by Jason Smith, said serial abusers would have to tell police, would have to tell police if they changed their name, moved address, or got a new partner if there was a register. It would mean that if someone had been prolific on online dating, the judge could say in an order that they are no, no longer allowed on dating sites. It would create mandatory action on the police's behalf. Claire's Law puts the onus on the victim to do a di- disclosure. Ms. Dronfield called, po- called on politicians to aid domestic violence perpetrators to add... Uh, sorry about that. Ms. Dronfield called on politicians to add domestic violence perpetrators to the existing violent and sexual offenders register. Ms. Faulkner, aged 24, from Redditch added, Not everyone knows about Clare's Law and it's not easy to get a disclosure. After I split up with Jamie and got with my now ex-partner, I had to tell police he was planning on living with me just so that I could get one. I think I waited about three or four weeks before I got Clare's law back. I had to wait for an officer to come out to my house to tell me what was on my ex's record. Anything could have happened in those weeks. The mother of two said the register would enable police to warn potential victims about their partner's past. She also thinks that offenders should have to update the authorities when they entered a new relationship similar to the rules for paedophiles. Robin Walker, Worcester's MP, said, The serial abuse case that the Worcester News has highlighted has understandably shocked people in Worcester and I share their abhorrence of this individual's crimes. I understand why a register is an appealing idea, but it is the case that those convicted of domestic abuse-related abuse related Domestic abuse-related offences and stalking offences are already captured on the police national computer. Where appropriate, they will also be captured on other systems, such as those on the Dangerous Persons database, also known as the Violent and Sexual Offenders Register. The Domestic Abuse Bill is one of the centrepieces of the government's policy agenda – and the Prime Minister has spoken passionately about her commitment to putting an end to this abhorrent crime for good. An open consultation on the Bill was held this year, with submissions welcomed from victims and professionals in the field of domestic abuse, on how best to promote awareness and to protect victims. The Government is currently considering all the evidence that was was submitted – and I would be happy to meet with any constituents who would like the opportunity to discuss how we can further strengthen provisions in the bill. West Mercia Police Detective Chief Inspector Rick Clare, who focuses on vulnerability, said domestic violence was a priority for the force. We are currently in the final stages of developing a a pilot programme help tackle the root cause of domestic violence, the perpetrators. The DRIVE programme will be piloted throughout Worcestershire and is scheduled to launch in December. It is perpetrator focused, where we will be using professional judgment and analytical tools to identify our local high-risk perpetrators of domestic violence. And once identified offer them support to enable them to change their offending behaviour and to help and to prevent future victims. Too many women and men continue to suffer domestic violence and abuse and it is vital that all possible steps are taken to protect them and to provide them with the information they need to make an informed decision. I would encourage anyone who has any concerns or is a victim themselves of domestic violence to contact their local police station so that we can help. No one should have to suffer in silence. In 2011, Weatherby was ordered to attend an integrated domestic abuse programme and received a nine-month suspended sentence for an assault occasioning actual bodily harm. In 2012, he was jailed for breaching his suspended sentence by committing further assaults and was also given a a restraining officer. (coughs) Weatherby was also jailed for 12 months for dangerous driving at Worcester Crown Court on June 1st this year. A despicable thief
0: deliberately targeted a 12-year-old boy, tricking him to steal his bike and leaving him heartbroken. Joel Isaac had only had his bike for ten weeks before it was taken by the heartless thief near the Elgar statue in Cathedral Square. The man wormed his way into Joel's confidence and tricked him into letting him ride it before brazenly cycling away on it. Mum Gale, 43, said he was devastated as the bike was Joel's pride and joy and had been using it every day to get to Nunnery Wood High School. The 12-year-old took the bike out at 5.15pm on Monday, and was waiting for his friends at the statue when he was approached by the man. Ms. Isaac said, he started to talk to him about the bike, what make it was, how much it cost, showing an interest in it. He said, ''Can I have a quick try?'' Joel felt like he had to let him have a go and told him he could as long as it was just round there. But the man got on and rode off. I don't blame Joel. He's only 12. He was intimidated. I completely blame the thief. I can't believe anybody could be so despicable. Joel waited an hour, looked for him, making sure there was always someone at the statue. But of course, he didn't come back. Joel has only had the bike a few weeks, and it had only been serviced that day. It's his first proper bike. He even made us take it in the car when we went to Cornwall at the start of the summer holidays. The stolen blue, white and green Carrera Valor mountain bike was bought for £225. Joel, who lives in Southfield Street, describes the thief as in his 30s, with a short brown beard and brown hair. The thief was wearing an Adidas tracksuit and trainers when he stole the mountain bike. Miss Isaac added that after appealing for information on social media, a woman contacted her to say a man matching that description was spotted weaving in and out of traffic on a bike in City Walls Road. The woman private messaged me, Miss Isaac Isaac said. It sounds like the man, so he must have stolen it and rode off in that direction. Sam Pisani, Cathedral Square centre manager, said police had checked their CCTV and although the boy can be seen with the bike, it pans away the moment the theft takes place. A West Mercia police spokesman said there had been no arrests and they have no named suspects. The spokesman warned the public to be vigilant of this trick in case this theft is attempted again. And in a similar incident, on the same day, three men, all around 19 years old, went over to another boy at Crowngate bus station at 5.50pm and told him he had a nice bike. One of them, who was wearing a Gucci cap and a khaki green North Face jacket, stole the boy's bike while the youngster got off to pick something up he had dropped. The offender rode the bike, a green Carrera Vendetta, in the direction towards Brown's restaurant. And that brings us to the end of the headline stories. And so we now have the rest of the news, starting with Judith.
3: Thank you. The University of Worcester has stressed that pupils make a positive contribution to the community after the release of the latest student misconduct figures. A Freedom of Information request to UK universities for their student and staff misbehaviour figures found that there were seven incidents at the University of Worcester in 2015 to 16 rising to 24 in 2016 to 17 it was also found that the incidents of assault criminal activity and bringing the university into, into disrepute were all up a university spokesman attributed the rise to a change in its reporting mechanisms in 2015 to 16 to a more robust system with the figure only covering February to August that year. And the university highlights that there has been a fall in the 2017-18 figure. A spokesman for the university said, The University of Worcester has more than 10,500 students, the vast majority of whom are hard-working, committed individuals who make a very positive contribution to the community. Last year, students undertook more than 18,000 hours of volunteering and raised almost £18,000 for local and national charities. The university educates hundreds of nurses, midwives, <laughs> teachers, and other professionals each year, who go on to make a real difference to the communities they serve. All students sign up to a code of conduct when they join which clearly sets out the behaviour the university expects. It also sets out the procedures for dealing with the poor and unacceptable behaviour. The university has one of the lowest rates of student disciplinary incidents, largely due to the collaborative approach of the university and the students' union. As a result in the academic year 2017 to 18 the number of misconduct incidents fell to 19 following successful campaigns led by the university's student well-being team. Nationally the press association found there was an across the board increase in academic misconduct which included everything from threats of violence and sexual offending to cheating in exams and collusion with other students. Worcester's Tudor House Museum Gate team
1: are celebrating after success at the West Midlands Volunteer Awards. The team won the Warmest Welcome Award at the third annual Museum Development Volunteer Awards, beating off stiff competition from Compton Verney, Soho House and the Shakespeare Birthplace Trust. At the Birmingham Hippodrome, the finalists were treated to an evening of fun, food and entertainment as the winners were announced in eight categories. The West Midlands Volunteer Awards were established to recognise and reward the invaluable work and significant contribution made by volunteers to the museum sector. This award in in particular in particular, and the independent judges who made the final decision, recognises the hard work and dedication of the volunteers at Tudor House in giving up their time to make sure visitors feel welcome the minute they walk through the doors. Manager Tonya Collett said, It's always such a pleasure to nominate the Tudor House team for awards as they don't do it for glory because but because they care passionately about keeping the museum open for others to enjoy. The volunteers who form the gate team at Tudor House are absolutely critical for the success of the museum. They have one of the toughest rules right on the front line of our museum, and yet they go about their task with grace, good humour and diligence. Made up of members of the wider volunteer team, They all demonstrate the same commitment to the museum, giving up three hours a week to stand in a drafty outer corridor and provide the warmest of welcomes. As Tudor House is an unassuming building that can easily be overlooked by people walking by the gate, stewards have to be proactive in reaching out to passers-by and overturning the first impression, persuading them to come in and find the museum inside. The team come from all walks of life, from education to engineering, and encompass all ages and genders. They all have in common a willingness to learn, to be open and approachable, a passion for Worcester's history, and a certain shamelessness in rattling the donation box. They reach out to all visitors, providing the same excellent standard of welcome. They all bring their own skills and style to the role making it their own. They're quite a force on our street as they actively gather people in. It's a testament to their cheerful natures that they rarely get a rejection, and when they do,
2: it never gets them down. A Marks and Spencer food hall is being built at a city shopping complex. The food shop will replace the former little supermarket on Black Retail Park. Builders are carrying out a 12-week construction project at the site, which includes demolition and refurbishment work. A spokesman for Marks & Spencer said, We're looking forward to bringing a new Marks & Spencer food hall to Blackpole Retail Park and will update the community as plans for the store progress. One retail park shopper, Tammy Clifford, aged 43, said, It needs something more here. It needs things to draw people to this area. It needs to be like Malvern Retail Park. The food stores are quite popular. It will add to the area. Julian Sturman, site manager at Havercroft Construction Limited, which is building the new store, said his workers were creating new signage and redoing the roof and cladding. City Councillor Joe Hodges, who represents the area, added, I have mixed feelings about it. From one point of view, it's good news. It gives people in the area an opportunity to shop at M&S without having to travel into town, bringing a car or having to use public transport. It will become like a local shop in the same way the little up there has become a local shop. You used to think of trips to the supermarket as a once-a-week event, but it becomes your local shop when it's so close. From the aspect of choice for people who live in the area, I'm happy about it. It will be an employment boost too. The Warden councillor added that the move will also fill one of the empty units at the retail parks in the Blackpole. However, she said, I'm a little concerned about developments outside the city centre because of the impact it has on the vi- viability of the city. Building work at the Marks & Spencer site started on August the 20th. The supermarket chain could not reveal an opening date for the store because plans are still progressing. Marks & Spencers has applied to Worcester City Council for a licence to sell alcohol at the shop from 6am to midnight every day. Uh, This is a follow-up to one of the headline stories you
0: heard regarding Richard Bailey, um, who was described as a callous killer who strangled and smothered mother of two uh, hours after they met who has been jailed for a minimum of 29 years Richard Bailey aged 41 showed no emotion as he was jailed for life at Birmingham Crown Court Passing a life sentence judge Patrick Thomas QC was told Bailey had 171 previous convictions including grabbing a woman by the throat in a row over drugs and punching a partner in a way designed to avoid bruising her. Bailey, who was on licence at the time of the killing, was led away to shouts of beast and scum from the public gallery. Ruling that the murder involved sexual or sadistic conduct, Judge Thomas told Bailey, You told the police that Charlotte asked you to squeeze her neck. Even if that were the case, and I do not accept that it was, it is manifest that she did not consent to being injured, let alone killed. I find that you were applying force to Charlotte's neck for your own satisfaction and that you covered her mouth to prevent her crying out. The judge also referred to Bailey's actions in leaving Miss Teeling's body in his bedroom for more than a week, adding... Your actions in making use of Charlotte's bank card after you killed her demonstrate an extreme degree of callousness. So does the way you conducted yourself in those eight days. We know that you spent much of the following night in bars and fast food restaurants trying to use Charlotte's card and occasionally succeeding. In a victim impact statement read to the court by Prosecutor Jonas Hankin QC, Miss Tealing's mother, Diane, said, Time will not heal the heartache and sadness that Charlotte is no longer the life and soul of our family. It is every mother's worst nightmare. There will always be one person missing from any family gathering. Not only did he take Charlotte's life, he stripped her of dignity in death. Every day I am haunted by the panic and fear that Charlotte experienced as the life was squeezed out of her. Members of the victim's family remained calm after Bailey was taken down when a woman sitting in the public gallery, believed to be related to the killer, claimed he was innocent. OK, um, so now we're going to have a few um items from the sports columns, uh, some... Um, Rugby, some uh, dragon boat, some cricket, and I think some more rugby. Anyway, Judith, thank you. Oh, it's yeah. football All
4: so.
3: right. Um a spirited second half showing showing saw Worcester Warriors salvage a bonus point from a twenty-one to fifteen defeat to Sail Sharks at the AJ Bell Stadium in the Gallagher Premiership. Warriors faced an eighteen to nil deficit at half-time after Josh Bowman and Dele, Denny Solomona went over in a one-sided opening period. But Worcester fought back brilliantly after the break and got within six points thanks to tries from Bryce Heem and Chris Pennell. The visitors mounted one final attack at the death but were unable to end their ten-year wait for a win at sale as the hosts held firm. Warriors looked to bounce back from their opening day 21-20 defeat to Wasps, but were without their talisman Francis Hougard. The influential scrum half was ruled out with a rib injury, leaving boss Alan Solomons to turn to the experienced Johnny R., But Worcester were were on the back foot from from the off as Ryan Mills' kick to touch went out on the full, leading to a sail line-out inside the visitors' 22. And after mounting heavy pressure on Warriors' try-line, A.J. McGinty was handed a simple three-pointer to get his side off the mark. Both teams kicked the ball away in a bid to gain territory, but Sharks were winning that battle. And on 20 minutes, Sale scored the opening try as Marland Yard did well to flick the ball outside for number eight, Beaumont, to cross in the corner. McGinty's touchline com- conversion drifted wide. Sale piled forward and thought they had scored their second try on 26 minutes when Jono Ross lunged for the try line But after going to the TMO, the Sharks captain was adjudged to have lost control of the ball as he tried to muscle his way over. The hosts increased their lead on the half-hour mark when Marco Mama was penalised for offside and McGinty landed the resulted penalty. A loose line-out from sale gave Warriors a rare chance to launch an attack but Mills then presented Soloma Solom- Solomona with a gift. The centre's pass was intercepted by the England wing who sprinted home from inside Sharks' half to score a try, which McGinty converted. With the first half almost over, Warriors went through almost 40 phases as they looked to strike. François Venter, went to the closest to scoring but Sale shut out the away side who eventually lost the ball. Trailing 18-0, Worcester had it all to do in the second period but did not take long to cut the deficit. After securing the ball at the line-out, Warriors hammered their way forward before R. fed Heem who powered over. Duncan Weir added the extras. Worcester were firmly on top and had a try chalked off on 52 minutes as there was no clear evidence R had managed to ground the ball at the base of the post. Weir closed the gap with a penalty before McGinty cancelled that out with a three-pointer of his own following a high tackle from Darren Barry. But Worcester looked after the ball well and their pressure told on 61 minutes as Josh Adams produced a brilliant offload to Pennell, who finalised in the corner. Weir was unable to convert, but Solomon's men were just six points behind Sale at 21-15. to 15. In a nervy final ten minutes, both sides made mistakes, but Sharks did enough to secure victory. Worcester ace Amanda
1: Hughes won three silvers at the European Nations Dragon Boat Championships in Germany. The 41-year-old, representing Great Britain, came home with the medals in the women's small boat over distances of 2,000 metres, 200 metres and 500 metres. There was opposition from 17 nations in Brandenburg. Other Worcester Dragons representing Great Britain and winning medals were Sean Williams in the under-18s, Maggie Inglis, Senior B. Helm, and Nigel Lee, Grand Dragons Helm. Pershaw Phoenix were also successful, with Chairman Pauline Young paddling and drumming with the senior team to bring home three bronzes, for the women's 10-seat boat in the 2,000 metres, 500 metres and 200 metres. David Blackmore and Michael Dacom paddled in a number of the under-18s teams and came away with three bronzes between them from their 500 metre and 200
2: metre races. Now the football... Um, Match with Worcester City 6, Dunkirk 1. John Snape has not long been back in the dugout and already his players are giving him a selection headache. The City boss, who returned from illness to preside over the midweek win over AFC Wolfricans could hardly believe his luck when two star turns end up visiting hospital. Knox and Niggles were mounting up by Friday. A recurring ankle problem saw Joel Caines withdraw from the starting line on the build-up to kick-off, and Worcester went a goal down inside a minute. Snape must have been tempted to hit the blue lights, but the rebuilt and reshaped team provided just what the doctor ordered, with a fluid, lively and at times thrilling display of solidarity. Gathering clouds, dumping a deluge of rain at the Ron Steele sports ground, threatened to set the tone when Dunkirk dealt the first blow within 60 seconds. Sam Yeomans, making his maiden league start for City, headed up rather than out, with Romello Nangle picking up possession 25 yards out to feed Anthony Wright, who drove inside keeper Matt Gwynn's near post via the underside of the bar. City wobbled for a few minutes, but settled and sought glory down the sides, frequently finding space without showing enough composure until a 17th-minute leveller proved the perfect tonic. Liam Lockett's asked corner seemed to re- deceive skipper Jordan Stoddart, but he adjusted well to nod again a cross goal using the pace and whip on the ball to take it past keeper Alex Smith. That was the catalyst for Worcester to swarm their opponents with Jordan Harrison leaving Adam Burton and Charlie Sheridan trailing in his wake only for Keon Evans to get caught on his heel in front of an open goal. Harrison then flashed a fraction wide of the far post with Smith beaten. Lockett played in Evans to get smothered in the box and the latter later fired in a cross shot that James Baldwin lashed over. The evasive second was finally grasped by Harrison who got past Sheridan and defied a bad touch to get back inside the recovering defender before scuffing in off the near post. The slice of luck his determination had deserved. Nangle wanted a penalty after tangling with Gwinning four minutes after the re- restart but the one-way traffic soon continued with george forsyth steaming in to nudge home another swirling locket corner missed at the near post by sheridan right inexplicably headed wide josh bar rostron corner that when all alone six yards out and after a scrappy spell it was game over in 64 minutes there was an element of fortune to the fourth when Adam Osborne fed lively substitute Josh Wills down the left of the box to drag well wide, but Evans showed predatory instincts to tap in at the post, far post. Dunkirk were a spent force, with Evans lifting over and Joe Bates swinging wide of an open net from the right flank after Harrison had har- harassed Smith outside his area. Bates kicked air when eight yards out with Osborne's driven follow-up cannoning off the backside of Burton on the line. Osborne's darts forward were finally rewarded when again latching onto a ball across the box to send it whistling low to Smith's left ten minutes from the end. Harrison put the cap on a dazzling display with five minutes left, caressing home following a sustained spell of unblemished Worcester procession involving Forsyth. Osborne and a 1-2 between Wills and Lockett that ended with the front man having the time and space to pick his spot. From the walking wounded to rude health, leaving Snape with a pocket full of potential antidotes for next opponent's Wolverhampton Sporting Community on Saturday. And finally, a
0: cricket report. Worcestershire collapsed to leave County Championship Division 1 title favourites Surrey a 272-victory target. Morn morkel took five wickets for five runs in 38 balls on day three at Blackfinch New Road to reduce the bottom-of-the-table hosts from 154-2 to, to 203 all-out in their second innings. A much larger chase had looked to be looming for the visitors. Surrey's minimum target to win the championship is to avoid defeat, but a positive result seems assured one way or the other unless the weather intervenes. They were given the ideal start to their second innings by first innings century maker Rory Burns, 33 not out, and Mark Stoneman, 300, um, sorry, 37 not out, with an unbroken opening stand of 70 from 20 overs. Worcestershire were in danger of three successive setbacks to damage their relegation fight after losing to Lancashire and Hampshire. The county collected the last four Surrey first-innings wickets for 55 runs to earn a lead of 68. Another polished innings from Tom Fell, 89, pressed home the advantage, but then Morkel struck. Josh Tung made the first breakthrough of the day when Morkel, 16, shouldered arms and was bowled. Ben Folk's 13, edged Dylan Pennington to fell in the gully region. Burns' fine knock ended on 122 when he went for a pull against Ed Barnard and miscued to Wayne Parnell at mid-on. His 206-ball knock contained 18 fours. The innings ended when Jane Dern- Jade Dernbach, 6, hold out tongue at long off against Pennington. County openers Daryl Mitchell and Fell put on 65 in relatively untroubled fashion before the former on 15 nicked Ricky Clark to second slip. Debutant Ollie Westbury, 15, tried to work spinner Amar Verdi on the leg side and was LBW. But the county still looked on course to set a target well in excess of 300 as keeper Alex Milton joined Fell for a stand of 63. Q. the introduction of Morkel and Milton, 24, edged a ball of extra bounce and was caught behind. Then to the final ball before T, Fell was squared up and bowled. His season's best 134-ball innings contained 13 fours and followed a first innings, 69. But Morkel and Verdi went on to clean up the rest of the innings. Ross Whiteley and Parnell were bold and Barnard fell LBW in quick succession to Morkel. Verdi accounted for Joe Clark, batting down the order because of the back injury and Pennington. Eight wickets fell for 49 runs in 19 overs. And that's our sports slot concluded, so on with some more news. A
3: schoolgirl in Worcester is the star of the latest TV advert for John Lewis and Waitrose after impressing with her musical talent. Ten-year-old Angelina Martin, who attends King's Horford School in Plains, is the pianist in the band that appears in the advert. Keith Martin, Angelina's dad, said, She's quite musical She is Grade 6 Piano, Grade 4 Violin and Grade 5 in Singing. Mr Martin said he was elated when he heard the news that Angelina would be starring in the advert. I was really excited, he told the Worcester News. It is a fantastic opportunity to show her piano skills. She really loves performing. Angelina has been for an audition for School of Rock, a national music school and leader's there was so impressed by her performance that they suggested she go for the John Lewis and Waitrose TV role. They realised she could play very well and put her forward for to the audition, said Mr Martin. At the audition they all had two pieces of music to play and had to learn it in quite a short space of time. Angelina played it the best so they gave her the role in the advert. Angelina went to a famous recording studio in London where she and other members of the, of the band, who are all under the age of 14, recorded the music for the advert. The song was a version of Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody, and the advert was filmed at a school in London. Mr. Martin said, It's amazing what they have achieved. Angelina, who lives in Northwick and attends, PQA, a Worcester drama group, is also starring in the trailer for a new film about the band Queen and Freddie Mercury. Mr Martin said Angelina hasn't decided what she wants to do when she is older and is still considering her options, but she may be able to make a career in music or performance. She is extremely good, so might well be able to, he said. The John Lewis and Waitrose TV advert will run for the next four weeks. There's just one more week to enjoy Worcester's
1: giraffes before the Worcester Stands Tall art trail comes to an end. The colourfully painted beasts have been delighting residents and shoppers for ten weeks, but will be taken down on Sunday. The Worcester Stands Tall app has been recorded more than 171,000 visits to individual giraffes, while more than 1,800 selfies have been uploaded to the app's gallery. Sarah Matthews, project manager for Worcester Stands Tall, said, The summer has gone by in a flash, and I can't believe it's nearly time for the trail to end. It has been an incredible 10 weeks filled with smiles, selfies and stories of exploring the trail. It's been a privilege to share in the joy of those visiting the giraffes. We know from our app that thousands of people have been to visit the trail. In the coming weeks, we will work with Worcester Business Improvement District to assess the value it has brought to the city. On behalf of everyone at St Richard's Hospice, I would like to thank those who've helped to make the trail a success. We hope to raise a fantastic amount for the Hospice's Build 2020 appeal at auction, enabling it to care for more patients and families in the future. The sculptures are scattered around various places in Worcester, forming a six-mile-long trail. There are 30 eight-foot-tall giraffes, and 27 smaller calves. The large giraffes will be removed on Sunday and will be placed in storage where they will have final touch-ups in preparation for the auction taking place on October the 11th. A farewell event is taking place on October the 4th which will give everyone the chance to see the giraffes for one final time at Worcester Cathedral. The rose gold calf sculpture displayed outside the cathedral, Lily the Pink, will also be auctioned, while the remaining calves will be returned to the schools and groups which decorated them. The giraffe sculptures have been well received by the public as well as tourists, with many saying they were a source of joy. When interviewed about the trail a few weeks ago, Artist Amrit Singh said that the giraffes for some have represented hope. It's not just raising money for a good cause, it's a community response. It brings the community together and is quite a special thing.
2: Harking back to their school history lessons, most people may remember there was once a chap called Alfred the Great, arguably the best, the first ruler of England as we know it who was supposed to have some culinary disaster with some cakes. Not great British bake-off material, however good he was as a king. What is less well known is that Alfred had a daughter, Athelflaed, who, in the front cover of a new book, Is Anything to Go By?, bore a striking resemblance to Zena Warrior Princess, swatter of baddies in a TV action series. Certainly, Athelflaed put herself about a bit because because she succeeded her father to the throne, became the first Saxon woman to rule a kingdom and led her army into battle against the Viking invaders. Her legend would have been ideal material for an action movie starring possibly a young Angelina Jolie. Had such a film been made, the city of Worcester would have played a central part because this woman, whom few have ever heard of, is the subject of a magnificent stained-glass window in Worcester Cathedral. Queen Athelflaed used Worcester as an important administrative centre, signed charters here and, with her husband, re-fortified it. As author Margaret C. Jones observes, I find it incredible, not to say unjust, that Athelflaed has been left out of the history books for so long. My book has grown out of an almost obsessive urge to set the record straight. I want, in however small a way, to do justice to England's founding mother. which founder, fighter, Saxon, queen, Athelflaed, lady of the Mercians. Pen and sword, £19.99. That does in, so, in no small measure. Starting with the front cover, although certain artistic licence must be allowed for, because I doubt the real life Athelflaed had access to that much Estée she was born around 1870, at a time when the Vikings were pillaging and killing their way across the country, crossing the North Sea in their shallow, draught longships, ships, which carried 50 men at a time. They travelled up the great rivers of England, the Thames, Humber and Severn, into the heartlands. There is no doubt they reached Worcester, because a Viking's warrior's skin was nailed to the north door of the cathedral. Athelflaed's path to power gained traction in the very early years of the 10th century when her husband, Athelred, who had become king of Mercia, fell ill and she began making major decisions on his behalf. In a document of 1902, she is referred to as Queen of the Saxons. In fact, even in his healthier days, the pair had operated more as a partnership than husband and subservient wife. Together they built defences against Viking raids in Hereford and Gloucester, and in the late 1890s undertook major works in Worcester. They offered the fortification of the city as a burr, a walled and heavily guarded town, with its main street laid out on a grid plan to give swift access to the city walls in event of an attack. A charter signed in Worcester at the time records the fortification plans for the protection of all the people. It provides for a grant of revenues from taxes and collected fines to Bishop Wurfeth of Worcester, who had contributed money for building the new walls. It explicitly names both Æthelred and Æthelflaed as joint founders of the scheme, which was to be just one of many similar projects Æthelflaed carried out with, with or without her husband across Mercia. Æthelflaed led her army into battle against the Vikings with bravery and skill, notably at Derby, Leicester, Runcorn and Langorse, as well as in defence of Chester. The stained glass window to her in Worcester Cathedral, designed by A.J. Davis, an early 20th century artist, represents Æthelflaed as a warrior or saint with a breastplate and sword. The image was copied in 2014 for a plaque in Castle Street, Warwick, to mark the 1,100th anniversary of the warrior queen's founding of the town. Despite the violence which had surrounded much of her life, Aethelflaed's death, came, when it, when it came in 1918, was swift and largely unexplained. The Anglo-Saxon Chronicle recorded... She departed very quickly, before midsummer, near Tamworth. Margaret Jones observed, Possibly, Ethelflade succumbed to a stroke or heart attack brought on by age and exhaustion. In any case, it is quite likely she died of natural causes. She would have been in her late forties, old by medieval standards. Her final resting place is officially unknown, but could possibly be in Gloucester near the ruins of the former St Oswald's Church, an area now covered by residential back gardens. In more recent times, Ethelfled's image has been used to promote various products, including beer, t shirts, war games, and even ladies' makeup. But the final word must go to an enthusiastic copywriter for Ethelfled Ale, who announced the Lady of the Mercians. Definitely kicked Viking butt at the Battle of Tettenhall. And without Æthelflaed, we'd all be speaking Danish in the Midlands.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Sally. Now for something completely different, as they say. (laughs) Tenants in the city can now apply to buy their homes at a discount after councillors agreed to enter into a £200 million Midlands-wide right-to-buy pilot. The Government scheme will allow a limited number of people in homes handed over to Fortis Living by the City Council to apply to buy their homes at a reduced rate. The Voluntary Right to Buy initiative, which extends the original Right to Buy scheme to include affordable homes, would allow Housing Association tenants to buy their homes at a discount previously unavailable to them. The Council also agreed to give up its share of the money made from right-to-buy sales to allow Fortis Living to pay for a new home set at a social rent level to replace the sold one. Before agreeing to forego the money, councillors on the City Council's Policy and Resources Committee placed a time restriction on Fortis of five years for the replacement homes. This was to gain assurance that the houses would be built sooner rather than later. Councillor Simon Geraghty said the scheme was a sensible and well-thought-out proposal, but was less keen to impose an unreasonable time restriction on Fortis Living to build replacement homes. He said, We should be mindful that we are not putting restrictions on Fortis, because then we are just setting them up to fail. We shouldn't impose things on Fortis Living that we as an authority couldn't do if we were doing it ourselves. Councillor Pater Agar said, I would like to agitate Fortis to replace the houses as expeditiously as possible. Estimates show around 3,000 homes will be sold across the West Midlands under the pilot, with only tens of those houses expected to be sold in Worcester. National Criteria sets out an extensive list of who can and cannot qualify, but, broadly speaking, tenants must prove they have lived in social or affordable housing for at least three years before they can apply. All replacement homes would be built within the city boundary at a social rent level, And the City Council keeps its right to ensure homes are available for which it can nominate households who are homeless
3: or at risk of becoming homeless. Have you ever wanted to play the ukulele? If so, there is an ideal workshop next month for you and no musical knowledge or experience is necessary. Worcester Ukulele Club, recently named as the 14th, Best Ukulele Club in the World is delighted to offer a beginners workshop at The Hive, Worcester on Sunday, October the 7th from 10:30 a.m. to 12:30 p.m. A spokesman said, "Come and join us and learn to play the ukulele and have some fun. You don't need to own a ukulele or a music stand. There will be instruments to borrow for the day." You don't need to know anything about music when you arrive but by the time you leave you should have learned a few basic chords and a simple song or two. As sales of the ukulele are said to be rising faster than any other musical instrument in the UK, members of Worcester Ukulele Club decided to hold a beginner's workshop to share their passion for the musical instrument and the fun they have playing it with those who have never touched one but would like to have a go the workshop which is for over 18s only costs £5 for details or to book contact workshop at email do, dodo.com dot places are limited to 20 and available on a first come first served basis so hurry and book Worcester Ukulele Club began in 2010 with a handful of people on a course at Elgar Elgar School of Music. There are now about 100 active uh, W-U-C-C-I-E-S, as they are known. I think you must say Wussies, (laughs) as they are known. (laughs) Worcester Ukulele club Sis. Many perform at gigs, raising money for the club's chosen charity, which this year is Headway, working to improve life after brain injury. Popular music from all eras and genres is played with a club repertoire of more than 130 songs. Over the years, the club has met a different, at different venues as membership has grown. It now meets at The Hive on a Monday evening from 7:30 p.m. to 9:30 p.m., and regularly attracts some 50 to 60 players. The
1: coroner's office has said it is unclear at this stage whether an inqu- inquest will be opened into the death of a popular tattooist. Jack Allender's body was discovered near to Barbon Brook on August the 21st, and the 29-year-old's funeral took place on Monday afternoon. Police said at the time that the tattooist's death was not being treated as suspicious. Worcestershire Coroner's Office has said that an inquest has not been opened at this stage. An inquest may be opened into a death if it is sudden or unexpected. The cause of Mr Allender's death has yet to be officially confirmed. Four Worcester studios last week raised £8,000 for Mr Allender's family by inking customers with memorial tattoos for the artist who owned the Madhouse studio in Pump Street. He was described as beloved and talented in a death notice submitted to the Worcester News by his grandparents, Lynn and Ken Burroughs. Mr Allender had one daughter called Penny, who it is believed will receive most of the money raised by the city's Tattoo community.
4: Thousands of people visited Droitwich over the weekend to celebrate the town's unique heritage. Salt Fest, which started in 2006, offers a packed weekend of activities and entertainment to mark the town's salt history and the community. Live music featuring the town's Air Cadet Squadron opened the event on Saturday morning. The Mayor of Droitwich, Christine Bowden, and Tony Rowley, Chairman of Witchhaven District Council, came to support the local groups. Councillor Bowden said... Events like Saltfest brings everyone together as a community. Locals just want what is best for its town. Steve Knight, organiser of Saltfest, said, The event is all about local distinctiveness. It has grown over the years and is definitely the town's quirkiest event. Local residents Andy Morgan and his wife Sandy support the event every year. Mrs. Morgan said, We always buy some nice produce from the stalls. The farmers' market area is brilliant. Unfortunately, we don't have a big enough patch in Droitwich to fit everything in, so it is all spread across the town. However, it does mean good business for shops as they get high footfall. Ned Powell travelled from Somerton to learn a bit more about the town's history. He said, I like the Roman connection and the history behind it is very interesting. It is an opportunity for visitors to find out more about how the salt came to be in Droitwich. Country towns seem to have their own uniqueness compared to the city. Grace Davidson and Leo Abad from Worcester attended Saltfest for their first time. Mr. Abad added, "There's so many different things to do and see. The setup is very village-like, and it's a cosy atmosphere.
2: A charity which supports people with brain injuries received a special royal visit. The Princess Royal attended Headway, Worcestershire in Gregory Mill Street to officially open its new kitchen and meet some of the survivors and charity support that the charity supports." Cynthia Upton, a client who has previously met the Princess Royal three times, claims the visit will change the lives of everyone at Headway. She added, The Princess is just like her mother, such a lovely woman who we all have so much respect for. She made us laugh and there was a good atmosphere in the room. The Princess does a lot of work for charity and we were all very grateful for her visit with us today. Catherine Davis, Chief Executive of Headway Worcestershire, said it was a fantastic experience and an opportunity for our team to share their stories with the Princess Royal. Meeting the Princess was a delight. She has a warm character, she's funny and very kind. She spent time and talked to all of our clients, getting to know them and their lives. The Princess was paying an interest in everyone and was very supportive. She made people laugh all throughout the day. This experience will make a huge difference to Headway. A client from Headway, Nigel Bourne, presented a handmade birdhouse to the princess as a gift. At the end of the visit, the Princess Royal unveiled a small plaque on a stand in commemoration of her visit. Liz Jauncey, who handed a posy of flowers to the princess, said, I could barely breathe. It was a magical moment for everybody here. Handing the flowers to the princess was a privilege and I'm so proud on behalf of Headway. To honour the visit, the princess thanked everyone with a short speech. She said, thank you all very much for your hard work. It is wonderful what you are all doing. The charity is amazing and wouldn't be running without all your support. You should be very proud of yourselves. And finally,
0: more than 900 shoppers enjoyed pop-up cinema events at a Worcester shopping centre. During the summer, Crowngate Shopping Centre hosted a pop-up cinema which saw more than 900 people enjoy Monsters Incorporated, The Notebook, Casablanca, The Greatest Showman, uh, Paddington 2 and other films. Crowngate also hosted silent screenings with headphones and autism-friendly screenings on Wednesdays and Sundays. Crown Centre... Crowngate Centre Manager Mike Lloyd said he was thrilled so many people came along to enjoy the pop-up cinema. Here at Crowngate, we love hosting family events and we're so pleased so many people came along to enjoy the fun, he said. It's the first time we've done this and so we're so delighted it was such a success. And uh, a description really is the screen was set up outside um, Huntington Hall and there was a red carpet and um, red and white striped deck chairs either side. The red carpet was like a gangway um, with red and white striped deck chairs set out in front of the screen too for people to watch the films, and uh, it was brilliant. So that's the last of our stories for this week. So it remains for me to thank John Plush for engineering, to uh, Judith Doherty, Audrey Luxton, Janet Goodman and Sally Rowe for sharing the table with me and uh, for reading and uh, to sign off and hope you all have a good week. See you soon.
2: Bye -bye. Bye
3: bye.